Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights. I'm your host, John McIndoe, Chief Marketing Officer here at IRI. IRI integrates big data, predictive analytics, and forward-looking insights to help companies in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets grow their businesses. We also share our thought leadership with the industry at large with the goal of addressing and tackling key challenges facing our industry. In this special episode of IRI Growth Insights, we have the first guest in our new C-Suite series that features conversations with notable leaders around the future of CPG and retail. Today for our inaugural episode, our special guest is Brian Cornell, Chairman and CEO of Target Corp. Brian's here today to talk with us about COVID-19 and its impact on the CPG and retail industry. He's been described as the most dependable retail CEO, delivering strong performance every quarter by Jim Cramer, the Mad Money host on CNBC. Brian joined Target six years ago, and prior to that was a senior executive at PepsiCo. So he's been a great partner to IRI for many years. Target has been both uniquely well-positioned for the onset of a pandemic, but also among the first retailers to address civil unrest. Today, we'll look at what the future of CPG CPG retail looks like and how CPG manufacturers must partner with Target to anticipate shopper needs and exceed their expectations. Leading the conversation today is IRI's very own KK DeVay, President of Strategic Analytics. KK has been leading the IRI COVID-19 thought leadership and economic indicators dashboard initiatives here at IRI, which are among the other invaluable resources you can access at iriworldwide.com. So without further ado, KK, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, John and Brian. Um, I've had the privilege of working with you over the last 10 years, both at PepsiCo and at Target. So I'm very honored and pleased that you're with us today. Uh, Thank you for making the time. We at IRI and our clients, many of our clients also have been looking forward to this conversation today uh, to really understand the dramatic changes that are going on in the CPG and retail landscape. I think this is, uh, and I would love to get your perspectives. This is something very unique uh, in our lifetimes, in our career. And Target in particular has been responding very, very quickly and very uh, well to all the emerging trends in the marketplace. So today, uh, what we wanted to do was to spend some time with you to understand how you're thinking about this and what is Target doing. So welcome, Brian, and thank you for making the time. KK, it's great to be here. I've got to personally thank you. You've been my data and analytical wingman for quite some time now, and I really appreciate all the support you've given me throughout my career. Thank you, Brian. Uh, to start us off, we thought it would we would kind of start with the more human aspect of uh, 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 you, Brian, uh, more uh, as to who you are as a person, so our viewers get uh, some more insight other than our professional life. So we're going to ask you a few quick questions to just get a flavor for you know what you're uh, doing, right? So what is a book that you're reading, Brian, right now? I'm reading a book called Killer Angels by Michael Shara, the old Confederate war book. And uh, I thought under the circumstances, KK, it was a good time to take a look back in time. Interesting. What is your favorite Target store brand product, Brian, or own brand product? 
apologize. Yeah. Well, you know how hard that question is to answer. It's like asking me my favorite child. But child. if I had yeah. to pick one, um, and particularly because now I have grandchildren in my life, I'd probably go back to Cat and Jack, an amazing now multi-billion dollar brand that you know I was there when we created it. And um, I feel a great affinity to Cat and Jack. What is your favorite and I guess your family's favorite summer ritual? Well, under more normal circumstances, there'd be the occasional bike ride with my wife and maybe even a round of golf with my son or standing around the grill with my daughter and other family members. This has been a very unusual summer season, as you might imagine. So I think Zoom calls are becoming the favorite part of my summer. <laughs> We're all Zoomed out. Uh, what's the last cultural event uh, that you attended? I can't recall one for myself. Just so you know. So you're talking about a concert or going to the yeah. theater or a sporting event? It's yeah. been a long time. I think the last big outing I attended was a UCLA football game back in the fall. So it's been a long time since I think many of us were out in some sort of big cultural event. I'm yeah. looking forward to that day again. We all human beings all over the world are craving for that, I'm sure. We are. Yeah. Brian, um, uh, turning to some of the questions um, that we, some of the discussions that we wanted to have with you today, right? Uh, Forbes has recognized Target as uh, the top responding companies uh, for COVID-19. Uh, notably, you're lauded for your support of frontline workers, stricter cleanliness protocols, and social distancing guidelines. Did you really have a pandemic playbook before this all started? How, how did you do this? Kiki, I don't think any of us have ever scenario planned for this environment. Um, and you know, when we started to see the changes in the environment you know, in February going into March, I think we had to quickly step back and write that playbook. You know, I've told this story a couple of times, but it was only, it seems like weeks ago, we were preparing for our annual investor conference and it was on March 3rd. And we were going to originally have it in New York City and then we started to see some travel restrictions and said, well, let's try doing this over a webcast. Let's do it virtually. Something now that we do each and every day. But when I was on that call, talking about our strategy, talking about our investors, we only had one call in question about the pandemic. And that was how it was affecting our supply chain in Asia. Literally, it seems like once we finished that call, the world changed. And we saw the pandemic begin to impact nursing homes in Seattle. We saw travel bans being put in place. Schools were closed. All the major sporting events stopped. And we had to step back and think about how do we operate in this environment, one that we had never, ever prepared for. And we recognized that if we were going to be an essential retailer and service the needs across America, to do that, to take care of our guests, we had to start by taking care of our team. So we said we're going to put a premium on safety. We're going to put a premium on ensuring that our team were taken care of from a pay and benefit standpoint. And it seemed like, KK, every week we had to make some changes, some adjustments. From a safety standpoint, we started by saying we're going to put dedicated team members in our stores who are cleaning surfaces from 10 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. 
Then we started to recognize we had to do more and started putting plexiglass shields up and putting social distance markers on the floor. We started metering the number of guests who could be in our stores. We provided our teams with masks and gloves every day. Anything we could do to provide our team and our guests with a safe shopping environment. But we also recognized we had to invest even more in our team. And we put premium pay in place, providing all of our frontline team members in stores and in supply chain positions, a premium of two extra dollars. We recognized that for some of our team members who might have had a pre-existing condition, were pregnant, were 65 or older, we had to offer them paid leave of four weeks. But all the things that we had to do to make sure we were taking care of our team, with many of them facing children that were at home taking classes online, we offered backup care so that they had support at home. So throughout the pandemic, we said the first thing we have to do is create an environment that's safe for our team, take care of our team members as they were taking care of America, and making sure we were doing the things that for Target were important to the Target guest. Uh, lots of lessons there. Uh, question, uh, Brian, as this pandemic seems to be spiking again in several states, we're also in the middle of a, a civil unrest, uh, which you have addressed publicly. We're in a recession. It's a presidential election year. What more do we want? Uh, but, uh, but given all these, uh, all these forces at work, what do you consider are essential features uh, for retailers to really, you know, help shoppers and serve them uh, well? You know, I think you addressed a couple of them, but what, what are the other things that really retailers need to do? And then, of course, the CPG manufacturers. Yeah. KK, I think one of the things that we've learned, we've talked about a lot, and if I think about our success in this very unusual environment, we put a premium on flexibility, adaptability, a willingness to continue to learn and iterate, listen to our teams, listen to our guests, but recognize that what works on Monday might actually need to evolve by Thursday or Friday. And what was right in March might have to look very different in July and August. So with so much uncertainty, so much volatility, we've had to learn to operate differently. And adapt and flex and make sure we're really putting a premium on agility in an environment where there is so much uncertainty. But I think for us, we've really put a premium on making sure we're listening. We're listening to the guests. We're listening to our team members. We're listening to the experts because we don't have all the answers. And we've got to make sure we're really good students and we're adapting and learning along the way and applying that learning to how we're operating the business taking care of our team and certainly taking care of our guests. Yeah, agility is a key word, agility, people. Uh, there is no playbook. Um, I, I want to transition a little bit to, um, uh, to what you expect from um, your CPG partners as we kind of you know, look forward for the next you know, several months and several years, right? Or at least a year or two till vaccine and treatments are developed. Uh, what change? I mean, there's a whole whole business model is changing, right? From a, adding a, an incremental margin in SKU to, you know, doing promotions and pricing the way we have been doing. Uh, everything is changing, right? So, what would you say are the you know top five things or three things that 
you expect from your CPG partners to kind of work with you to serve the society, right? Serve the society, serve our shoppers. It is a great question. And I think as we sit here today, one, we put a premium on really transparent communication. As we're iterating and adjusting and learning, we got to make sure we're sharing that learning and that information. I think it's also a time where for all of us, putting a premium on getting the fundamentals right is really important right now. And part of that is simplifying the operating model, making sure we get the basics in place each and every day. KK, something that obviously you know as well as anyone on this call, putting a premium on making sure we're looking at the data, the analytics, the information, that's going to help guide some of the decisions. But there's some great examples with some of our CPG vendor partners that I think we're going to continue to lift up for years to come. And I won't name names, but for a few of our really big partners, one in particular, we might have had 700 of their SKUs in stock, in distribution at Target at the start of the pandemic. Today, we probably have said we need to get 70 of them on the shelf available for the guests who's shopping in-store or online every single day. So less becomes more. And getting those most important, those most relevant items in stock, flowing through our DCs, flowing through their manufacturing systems is really important. So I think we're going to see some skew rationalization take place. Vendor partners, manufacturers, big CPG players saying, all right, what are the most important items that I need to make sure are running through my lines constantly and are supplied to my retail partners and ultimately to the consumer that they serve on a regular basis? So I think it's forced all of us to, one, have really transparent discussions, make sure we're looking at the data and the analytics really carefully, getting the fundamentals right, and making sure that we simplify the business model and put a premium on the most important things for the consumer and the guests we serve. And and, uh, the, the joint business planning then kind of really becomes very different now, right, in this new world. How do you think about promotions and pricing, right? Uh, as well, in, in broadly, it varies, I, but I mean, what's you know, the role I, of promotions in store? Sure. You know, as I think about some of the changes coming out of the pandemic, what we're projecting going forward, you know, I think we recognize, KK, stores are going to be vitally important. And I think about how our guests has responded. Well, we've seen enormous growth from a digital standpoint. Those local stores are still really important and play a very critical role. So we've got to make sure we're still running great stores. We've got to deliver amazing value every time the guest shops. And I think certainly as you think about both the pandemic and the economic downturn, value is going to be critically important. And then you know, we've really talked to our vendor partners about how ease and convenience fits into the new model. So when you think about the results that we talked about in our first quarter, Mm -hmm. Growing our overall comps by just less than 11%. Our digital business grew 141%. But a lot of our same-day fulfillment options, order online, pick up in store, drive up, having a personal ship shopper bring it right to your door, those services grew by almost 300%. So how do we make it easy, convenient, and back to have those most important products available no matter how 
the guest wants to shop. So I think we were really thinking about with our partners, how do we blend value, ease and convenience? And then one of the things that we own is making sure we're creating a safe shopping environment. And if we get those elements right, promotions are still going to be important. But back to the fundamentals, we've got to have great everyday value. We want to make sure those most important items are in stock every day. We make it easy and convenient to shop no matter how that consumer or guest wants to shop at Target. And then we've got to create a really safe environment when they're shopping in our stores or using any of our fulfillment services. And, and that's that's a great point, right? The whole um, yeah, online uh, explosion and also a lot of the CPG and grocery explosion because a lot of out-of-home consumption has shifted in home. Uh, how is that affecting overall uh, your uh, target uh, uh, space and uh, and uh, you know where you prioritize right I mean some of the other sections of the store have you I mean in general have you changed the way you approach it right yeah you know one of the things that separates us from our competition is the unique multi-category portfolio that we yeah. have and the fact that you can shop our stores or shop our online services for apparel for home products, for electronics and toys, for food and beverage and beauty and household essentials. So it makes us somewhat unique. And it might be interesting, KK, for me to kind of walk through what we've seen during the pandemic. Because I go back to those early days, you know, late in February and early in March. As you know, there was that huge spike for medication, for household essentials, a premium on paper and disinfectants and cleaning products, but also for those core food and beverage products that were so important. But as we watched the pandemic evolve, while those essential items were critically important to America, as we started to learn about sheltering in place and working and educating from home, we suddenly saw a changing guest behavior. They were still shopping for the essentials, but they were now looking for office supplies and new printers and ways to entertain and educate their kids. They were cooking at home. And obviously, food consumption was moving from away from home back in home. So small appliances and anything kitchen related was exploding in growth. And we've had to adjust along the way. As some of the restrictions were taken away, we saw growth again in beauty and in apparel and in other parts of our business. But we've had to react to the changing consumer trends. And fortunately, with our multi-category portfolio, we can flex based on the changing trends and use the data and analytics to guide how we allocate space and what we're putting on end caps but it's changed rapidly. And we might not have been ready when all of a sudden America said, well, we're sheltering in place. We didn't know that term a few months ago. People learning how to turn on Zoom cameras and work from home and then educate your children and find ways to entertain at home. I talked about by the time we got to April, we started to see in certain parts of the country, you know, outdoor items were starting to grow rapidly because some people, You know, people said, I want to get out of my house and I want to get into my backyard and 
ride a bike and find any way to keep my family engaged and entertained um, in this confined space. So we've had to adjust space and how we're allocating inventory based on these changing needs. And I'm sure it's going to change again as we finish the summer and go into the fall season. So the insights, the data analytics is still really, really important in guiding those decisions. In fact, uh, when uh, the shelter in place happened, it was around Easter time. And Target always does, you know, wins Easter, right? In the, in the retail world, you do beautiful things. I was just thinking about Target. I couldn't go to the Target store to just, I was curious to just wanted to go and see what's going on in the store. Uh, but, you know, several holidays have happened or, uh, you know, seasons have happened in terms of Easter to Memorial Day to now Independence Day. Uh how has that changed? And, and then we also now come to back to school, which is another holiday that you kind of own a lot, a season. And then we're going to have the baking and Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know, how, how are we going to manage that other than taking it one week at a time, which, which seems to have worked very well because you're very agile. But how, well, how do you plan for that? I do, yeah. I do think part of it is you know, one week at a time and yeah. learning from past holidays. So I think we've recognized that while they've been celebrated differently, there was an Easter holiday. We did, did celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day. Mother's Day you know, that's right, yeah. Memorial Day season arrived and so did the fourth. So I think America is celebrating those moments differently. And there might be a Zoom call involved with family members and you're saying hello to mom and dad and celebrating with your family differently. But I think there's still that desire for connection. And Consumers are still looking for that connection, even if it's a video conference or a Skype call. And as we think about the future, I expect there's still going to be a holiday season, but we will expect the consumer to shop differently and celebrate differently. We're hearing that you know there's going to be school in certain parts of the country and in others. We'll see if it's going to continue to be educating from home. Some college campuses are saying they're going to open. Others are looking at remote learning. So not only do we have to be flexible week by week, I think we also have to adjust to changing trends market by market, because what might happen in Florida could look very differently in the state of Washington. What we might do in Minnesota could look very different what happens in Texas. So we've got to be agile from a macro standpoint, but market by market, we have to understand local trends, what's happening with schools, colleges. And it's going to put much more pressure on our merchants, our marketers, our store operators, our supply chain. But I think for all retailers right now, that premium on week-to-week agility and adjusting to changing market trends is going to be really, really important. Yeah. And the data and the insights that go along with it. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, the new buyers, new shoppers that a whole bunch of brands have, the traditional iconic brands have gained. But you also, uh, I think looking at the data, have gained quite a bit of new shoppers, right? Uh, how are you managing that? How are you, you know, what, you know, how are you thinking about uh, uh, retaining them, uh, ensuring that uh, they kind of, you know, spend more time at Target? Uh, and, and what lessons do we have for, in, you know, for others in CPG? Again, I think we've been fortunate because of our multi-category portfolio, our physical and digital capabilities. We have seen, as you shared with me, 
you know, significant market share growth across our entire portfolio, which has led to new shoppers at Target, new guests. Um, I talked about the fact that we saw 5 million new guests use Target.com. Over 2 million new guests discovered our drive-up services. So now we've got to continue to make sure that we build greater engagement with those new shoppers and guests, make sure they understand all of the different assets that we have to offer to them, our multi-category portfolio, some of our small stores and urban markets that I've received dozens and dozens of emails from people in New York and Boston, Chicago and Washington, D.C. saying, you know, thank you, Target. You opened up this new store. And during the pandemic, it's the place I go for baby products and household essentials. It's where I go for my beauty needs. It's where I'm picking up those kitchen items that I need because I'm cooking at home. So we've got to continue to make sure we're building a stronger connection with those new Target guests, making sure they understand our portfolio, the great value we offer, our combination of style and essentials, and making sure if they want to shop in a store on a Monday, they know we're going to provide a great experience. But if they want to come by on Thursday and just place an order and pull into a drive-up lane, we'll put it in their trunk in two minutes, contact-free, and let them drive home. So we want to continue to focus on earning their trust. And I think we've built tremendous trust during the pandemic, making sure they know we're putting a premium on a safe shopping experience and we're thinking about how to make it safe for them, whether they're in our stores or using our other fulfillment options, but using the data and analytics to just extend that relationship. I mean, we're fortunate now with our Target Circle program, we have over 70 million members who have signed up. So how do we make each one of them feel special and make sure that they know we're there to support them during this very unique time in all of our lives? Uh, a related question. Oh, that's that's a tremendous um, opportunity. And, and, um, and I think... Um, bunch of other CPG brands also have suddenly, you know, got you know, customers who didn't, you know, use those products for four years, five years, 10 years, some kind of going back to their childhood mac and cheese, uh, you know, as they're kind of having more meal occasions, et cetera, et cetera. And I think each marketer is doing slightly different things to say, how do I retain them? And this become a big, uh, big challenge. It's a good challenge to have, good problem to have actually, right? Uh, versus not having customers. Um, Years ago, Target gained the chip chic uh, kind of a reputation, right? Uh, and in this new world, uh, particularly dollar uh, and uh, the, the value channels, they've kind of grown tremendously in the last 10 years. You know, each year, I think they kind of, you know, they put up another 1,500 to 2,000 stores, right, in terms of the value stores itself. And with the new recession looming as the stimulus checks, et cetera, et cetera, kind of, some point have to stop. Uh, the whole uh, assortment pricing value equation is going to change. Uh, we hope it doesn't, but it is likely to for the next whatever twelve to eighteen months. How are you thinking about it, and how are you kind of you know preparing uh, target from that perspective? And what do you expect from your CPG partners to help kind of serve the serve your guests and their their customers? Well, so, Kiki, I do think. We have found a way to bring Target back to life. And when I think about the road to bring that Target magic back to our guests, 
I really think about the power of and, and I think it's an important part of what differentiates Target from many of our competitors. We've got to make sure we're blending a great store experience and a great digital experience. We want to make sure we blend you know, those style categories like apparel and home and beauty and those important essential categories like food and beverage and all of the household cleaning products that we offer each and every day. We've got to make sure we deliver great quality and great value. And that's where our vendor partners play such an important role. And throughout you know, the challenges that I think lie ahead, we've got to make sure we're true to our overall brand promise and bringing the expect more part of our brand promise together with the pay less component. So I think as we think about the competitive environment, a uh, consumer who is going clearly going to face some financial challenges as the PPE runs out and we continue to see high unemployment, we've got to make sure we're bringing the consumer with our vendor partners what they're looking for. And I think it's going to be a combination of quality and value, style and essentials, you know, the expect more and the pay less part of our portfolio. And I think in today's environment, we've got to work with our vendors to make sure we're delivering both from a physical store standpoint and from a digital standpoint to make it as easy as possible for America to shop for the products that they want and the ones they need. It's, it's going to be a challenge for all of us. Uh, uh, and, and I think many of us are kind of set up right in the pre-pandemic. I think we're all kind of focused on productivity, understanding what customers value and delivering you know, those kinds of attributes and, and features uh, in what we do. Uh, Brian, shifting to your own brand's program, right? Your, you know, I don't want to call it store brands because it's, it's more than that. And you have particularly invested so much in own brands. I think you're kind of overhauling your own brands program pre-pandemic uh, and this good and gather was kind of really kind of taking, um, uh, taking ground uh, and which, you know, is, is a great move, by the way. Uh, what are some of the opportunities you see with your own brands, uh, particularly in this recession? And how, how is this likely to play out? What's your plan? Um, yeah. you know, I don't think we'll ever reach the European levels. I apologize. No. And, uh, and, that's, yeah. and that's not our goal. And it actually, yeah. it brings me back to kind of the power of and, A and D. Because yeah. when you look inside of our strategy, it's the blend of our own brands and great national brands and great limited time partnerships that we bring forward for the guests. So we're at our best when we're bringing both great national brands and our own brands together, you know, that provide differentiation from many of our competitors when we bring our guests those unique limited time offerings that drive excitement, that benefit both our national brand portfolio and our own brand. So it's got to be a balance. And category by category, we've got to listen to the consumer and the guest to understand what they expect from Target. You know, at our very core, you know, we're curators. And we've got to make sure we're carefully curating category by category on behalf of the guests. And it's what our merchants do exceptionally well, is make those decisions on behalf of the guests and find the right blend between our own brands that provide great differentiation and those national brands that are so important to the guests we serve each and every day. So it does come back to the power of the and in our equation 
and how we bring that to life category by category, four foot section at a time across our store. What a period of time do you see uh, some brands, some of your own brands kind of really meant for, you know, e-com, meaning omni-channel, just, just sending uh, and some both, you know, in-store and, and in e-com. Do you, do you see that kind of a thing playing out, a scenario like that playing out? I think you yeah. do have quite a few own brands, right? Correct. We do. And, you know, we're going to constantly look and evaluate our own brand portfolio over time, decide when it's time to refresh and actually when it's time to retire some of our own brands, when we need to bring some new innovation to those spaces, just like we do with national brands and national brand managers do each and every year. From a physical versus digital standpoint, you know, we are starting to very selectively work with new vendors to bring brands to Target Plus that we don't offer in store, but Mm -hmm. provide a curated approach to expanding our online assortment. We do Mm -hmm. it differently than our competition. We actually invite vendors in. So we're not creating a marketplace that anyone can try to participate with. Mm -hmm. We're very careful in curating again on behalf of the guests and making sure that we can ensure our guests that we're gonna deliver the right value and quality that they expect from Target. So I think you will see over time more and more brands that are Mm -hmm. only available through Target Plus that you wouldn't see in our stores, but extend our footprint even further through the digital channel. Makes sense. Uh, Brian, I think we're coming up on time. I'm going to ask you one final couple of questions. One is, uh, I think you've talked about this in in some other um, situations, uh, conferences too. What are some of the steps and investments that you had already made over the last five and a half years that really kicked in uh, during this pandemic that you would say, you know, I'm glad I did this, right? I mean, we all, I'm sure, think of some things, but what would be some of those investments that you made, Brian? KK, I would never say that we built our strategy for this okay. pandemic environment because there was no scenario planning that we did that ever imagined what we're facing today. You know, the impact of the pandemic, the economic downturn. But for five or six years now, we've been very focused on executing a very specific strategy. And we talked about this very openly starting in February of 2017. But at a time when many were moving away from physical stores and starting to rationalize their footprint, we took a very different path and said, as we listened to the guests, as we listened to the consumer, there was still a very important role for physical stores to play. And in fact, our entire strategy pivots around our stores. We've been committed to investing billions of dollars to remodel stores across America. And we'll continue to remodel those stores and create an inspiring and easy shopping experience. We've been opening up new stores smaller formats across the country. And now we've opened up over a hundred of these small format stores at a time when people were moving away from those markets. We invested in our own brands to provide differentiation. And we took a very different path from a digital standpoint, using our stores as our fulfillment hubs and using our stores as really the center of our digital fulfillment strategy, putting a great amount of effort in building out order online, pick up in-store. 
rolling out drive up across America, which has been perhaps you know one of our fastest growing ways to meet the needs of a consumer during this pandemic, where they've discovered our parking lots. They still come to Target, but they pull in and within two minutes, we put it in their trunk and they pull away. We made an acquisition of a regionally based company called Shipped back in December of 2017. Back then, you know, they were largely in the Southeast. Now, we have almost 200,000 personal shoppers across the country. We actually went from 100,000 to 200,000 during the pandemic because we saw the need for immediate personal shopping where you can have a ship shopper, go to a Target store or other retailers that we service. And within two hours, we'd bring it to your doorstep, ring the doorbell, and you had your order fulfilled without any contact with the shopper. So in so many ways, our strategy prepared us for the pandemic. But I think the most important investment we made before the pandemic and actually during was the investment in our team. When we go back to that day in February 2017, you know, I talked about the fact that we were going to put billions of dollars of capital to work in our stores, to build new stores, to expand fulfillment capabilities. But I also said, we're going to invest a billion dollars in our team, in training, in more hours, in higher wages. And we made a commitment back then to getting to a starting minimum wage of $15 by the end of 2020. We announced just a few weeks ago that starting in July, our starting wage would be at $15. And throughout this journey, while we've made important investments in technology, in data science and analytics, in our stores, in capabilities, the most important investment has been in our team. And I think the reason we're sitting here today with so much momentum, with growing levels of trust with our guests, with market share gains that you report each and every week, is because of the work that our teams are doing. At our stores, in our supply chain, at the headquarter level, to make the right decisions on behalf of the guests and create this dynamic shopping environment where we can give our guests what they want, what they need in an easy yet inspiring and safe shopping environment. And that investment in our team is probably the single thing that differentiates Target from our competition today. Incredible, incredible. It's great work, Brian. Um, I'm going to ask you one final question, a personal question. I was telling my daughters who are starting their careers that I'm interviewing the famous Mr. Brian Cornell of Target. They all shop there because they all go to colleges and schools and there's always a Target nearby. So one of the questions that they wanted me to ask you is, what is one uh, piece of advice you would have for somebody who is starting a professional career? What quality or what should they strive to kind of build to be successful uh, in their careers, whatever that may be? What is the one personal quality that you have seen in your career that yeah, you would Kiki, say? I think you've heard me talk about this a lot. You know, I yeah. think there are so many important qualities of leaders today, but I think in today's environment, I always come back to the importance of humility and being a great listener, staying grounded, staying humble, staying approachable, I think that's so important. And I think 
as I think back over the last few months and lessons learned during the pandemic, we didn't have a playbook. We hadn't seen this before. And we had to be humble enough to say, you know, we don't know the answer, but we're going to listen and learn and iterate and adjust. And I think that focus across our entire leadership team of staying very grounded, very humble, listening to our team, listening to the consumer and our guests, it's been a really important attribute that has only been accentuated during the recent months of the pandemic. There's something very distinctive about you also, Brian, that I've admired and I've seen over the last 10 years. Uh, thank you very much. We really appreciate the time that you have taken to uh, talk to us today. Um, and uh, we'll see you uh, soon, Brian. Have a great uh, rest of the summer and good luck with all of your initiatives. KK, always great to see you. Thank you for the partnership. I appreciate it. Thank you, KK. And thank you, Brian. That was a terrific conversation. Uh, some tremendous insight there that I know that we're all going to be able to benefit from during these uncertain times. Uh, just, a, just a brief recap. Brian, you talked about the need for agility and that agility coming oftentimes um, week to week and your need to respond and our need to collectively respond in real time as things are evolving. You also talked about flexibility and really understanding local trends uh, market by market and adjusting accordingly. I thought your perspective around transparency with partners and suppliers was, was really spot on. Getting the basics right each and every day, making most the most important products available for your guests at every turn. You also talked about the need to put a premium on data and analytics to drive fact-based decisions and ultimately rethink joint business planning. Uh, you also talked about the importance of the, the physical retail store and the combination of the physical retail store and the digital experience and creating ease and convenience across, across both of those channels seamlessly. I think at the end, when you summed it up, you know, you really, your, your formula of brand value in terms of the products that you offer and the portfolio of offerings that you have in your stores and online combined with ease and convenience and safety really sets target apart and really brings out, I think crystallizes your unique point of differentiation relative to other retailers. It certainly feels like a winning formula to me. And I have a strong suspicion that Mr. Kramer at CNBC will feel the same. So again, thanks so much, KK and Brian. For our listeners and viewers, this recorded conversation will be available on our website at www.iriworldwide.com. We hope you'll take an opportunity to review our COVID-19 thought leadership, including valuable reports and dashboards on economic indicators, demand, and supply chain trends. With that, take care and have a safe and great day. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.